Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Drive Into the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, your host, and I'm here today to talk to you about the Detroit Pistons. So let's launch right into it. So I'm recording this the day after the Pistons lost a very, very close game to the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, which itself came the day after they won a game against uh, the Golden State Warriors. And we have had some, excuse me, seen some good things happen over the last week or so. So I'm going to start with the biggest one. You know, you know it, I know it. Uh, a guy who has been really, you know, has come in and, and made a real impact. It's Nerlens Noel. I'm just joking, of course. The Noel actually was pretty good last game. Uh, to the extent of what you get out of Nerlens Noel. Obviously, I'm not going to talk about Nerlens very much in this episode, but what you can get out of Nerlens Noel is you get a strong interior defender, you know, a, a decent role man who sets pretty good screens, uh, not very good switch defense, and a very limited utility on offense because he's going to do very, very little bit finish plays around the basket, which you can do at a decent level, but don't ask him to catch difficult passes because he can't really do that. Solid third string center. Uh, he was basically Jalen Duran insurance. Uh, because of Marvin Bagley becoming injured, Duran got, and, and also Noel not really being ready to go at the beginning of the season, Duran got a shot, and I think he'll stay in the rotation over Noel. Noel was Duran insurance, so that's where he is right now. So let's move on to the guy, obviously, who's the talk of the town. That's Kate Cunningham. Uh, I said last episode, in last episode, he'd really been struggling at that point, that I really wasn't worried about Cade. That I think that I thought at the time. I mean, I thought at the time. I still think so. If you're if you were still struggling, I'd be saying this: that the guy is just too talented and, and too hardworking and too smart to really continue struggling as he was. And he really picked it up. He had been oddly lethargic and indecisive for you know for the for the early games of the season, and that's definitely changed over the last four games, two games against the Hawks, and then of course the games against the Warriors and against the Bucks. He has been much more like we saw last season. You know, the Cade Cunningham, who is very cerebral and is very decisive and intends to make the right decision much more often than not. And it's been great to see. We've also saw, seen just this spectacular performance from mid-range. He just loves to go around picks and, and take mid-range pull-ups. And you've heard me talk a lot about how very, very difficult it is to make those efficient, but also how it's a great shot to have in your arsenal if you can make it work. Like Kevin Durant. Obviously, I'm not comparing Cade to Kevin Durant. He's got an extremely long way to go as a scorer to get there. Almost everybody in NBA history is nowhere near as good as Kevin Durant as a shooter. But if you look at Kevin Durant, I mean, he takes just a crap load of pull-up twos, and it and he shoots them at a high percentage, and it helps that he's also nearly seven feet tall. But if it's a shot you can get, then it's fantastic to have. Same thing with DeMar DeRozan last season, who was just a great mid-range shooter, and you give him the ball and he can get a bucket for you. So Kate has been using that a lot to generate offense. He's also been having a lot more success getting to the basket, where, of course, you're going to score at a higher percentage. And in an ideal world, be able to draw free throws, which he is not quite doing yet. Uh, and we've also we've seen him parlay the attention that he's getting because he's now attracting a great deal of attention on his way to the basket. And he's parlaying that into offense for his teammates. Now, Kate, I don't want to call him. I've never wanted to call him like a straight heliocentric creator. There are very few of those. But I think he's really on a pretty, you know, significantly toward that end of the spectrum. We'll put it, we'll put it that way. A guy who's going to be on the ball a lot of the time. And you really want him obviously to be drawing that much attention from the defense. That's where his playmaking can really come into play. And though he still has been somewhat turnover prone, it's, I mean, he's, he's looking really good as far as the passes that he's making, you know, aside from he still makes some passes that he shouldn't make that get picked off. 
But overall, uh, just looking really good. A three-point shot still needs to come along. He was sinking his pull-up threes against the Bucks. If Cade can shoot pull-up threes and at, at a good percentage, he can shoot pull-up twos at a good percentage. And if he can just refine things a little bit more as far as getting to the baskets, it's an extremely difficult player to cover. You got to cover him close at the three-point line. He can. You got to cover him close in the interior because he can pull up on you, and that just makes it a lot easier to get to the basket. And you also see that some of the strength that he put on in the offseason is really coming into play uh, because he can take a bump. Uh, he can take pretty hard bumps around the basket and still get there. But yeah, what I've been most impressed with is just the shooting, you know, just the jump shooting, uh, particularly in the interior. He, like I said, both, I shouldn't say the shooting all around because his three-point shooting is still a work in progress. But yeah, he has just looked really, really good. You know, the, the decisive cerebral uh, offense, you know, shot creator and, uh, and creator for his teammates that that we want Cade to be on, on really high usage. So that's been exciting. And you really see the player who's, like oh, I'd say, almost certain to be the best player the Pistons have had in a very, very long time. Uh, you, you see what's, what he's going to look like. Like you see, you're seeing the development that you want to see. So uh, it's exciting. And the future is definitely bright for Cade. And, uh, you know, on defense, he's been doing a pretty good job as well, aside from the foul trouble. Uh, you know, he's he's a very engaged defender. He's not making the same mistakes he did last year in terms of ball watching and giving up open threes. So that's good to see. I think that Cade will, and I, I've thought this, I think that Cade will be a somewhat positive defender. And, you know, obviously, well, I obviously want plus value defenders. I don't think he's going to be like a really good one, let alone an elite defender, but I think he'll be a positive value one. And if you have a guy who is real good on offense and gives you a little bit of positive value or even just doesn't lose your value, on defense, I mean, sweet, fantastic. So that's looking good. That's the most notable plus, obviously, of the last week. And it's it's been very exciting. So way to go, Cade. Uh, moving on to number two, Jaden Ivey. Uh, always going to be the second most interesting player on this roster. And uh, Ivey, some good, some bad. So one thing that I brought up last week that I continue to think, I mean, that it's going to take some ironing out, and I'm not sure it's going to happen under Dwayne Casey who unfortunately is just not the greatest at innovating and, and finding good fits between players who overlap a bit uh, because Cade and Ivy are both much better. You know, they do their best work on the ball and with the ball in their hands, generally attacking in the interior. And it's tough to have, you know, Cade is the, the guy when he's on the floor, you know, you've seen it in, in these last four games, you know, he's the guy he's, he's handling and shooting on heavy volume. And so Jaden Ivy needs to find a way to, to get into that offense in a valuable way. And this is like part of what I was talking about, or primarily what I was talking about, really. And, you know, I did a pre-draft episode about Jaden Ivey, and there were some concerns that I had then that aren't concerns now, but I still look at the fit, and it's going to take some doing because Ivey is going to need to find a way to, to provide good value when he's off the ball. So shooting, of course, his catch and shoot needs work. Like it's, it's, it's very slow. He doesn't really seem altogether comfortable. Uh, his form is a little questionable. So not necessarily a strong catch-and-shoot guy at this point, and that's got to change. And he's just got to become more active when he's off the ball in terms of as an off-ball mover, uh, which he should be really good because he's one of the more explosive players in the NBA. Uh, however, like I said, Dwayne Casey is really not the guy to, to take a, a fit that requires some innovation and actually make it work. His solution at this point is generally just to have Ivy standing around at the three-point line a situation in which Ivy is not providing much value at all. He's providing much value, much less value than he could have otherwise. Like your ideal picture with Cade and with Ivy 
is well, number one to have two guys who can create offense. I mean, that's great to have. But as far as using them well together, of course, Ivy's going to have to be that good off-ball player. But K drives in, for example, and you have Ivy just move explosively off-ball into the interior uh, because K has drawn two defenders. You know, Meanwhile, rather, K has drawn two defenders. Ivy's slashing into the interior, get him the ball, and maybe he gets a shot, probably gets a shot. If he doesn't, he can pass it to somebody else as the defense has had to go help on, you know, has had to go help onto him. And then you've probably successfully, you've got a way to successfully wrong foot defenses on a regular basis. And that, that's what you want to do. You want to get the defense reeling. It's going to get you your best shot of finding an open way into the basket or getting an open three. But we don't see that. And I don't think it's a matter of Ivy being raw or, you know, just needed to ease him into it. Off-ball movement isn't very difficult. I'll just come back to it. I mean, I've said it so many times. Dwayne Casey, I think, is just a very poor offensive coach. And that is what it is, or I can say it is what it is because I'm going to find it frustrating no matter what. But, yeah, I'm I'm just as ever hoping that he decides to retire after this season and just passes the reins on to somebody who is more fit to run an effective modern NBA offense as a better offensive mind. Do I think it's likely? And no, I think that Dwayne Casey will be the coach through next season, which I and at that point, I mean, I don't think it's going to be ideal for the Pistons. I mean, you look at, you'll have Cade and you'll have, uh, you know, Sadiq and Isaiah Stewart, whoever else. I mean, it's not going to be as development focused. And if it's not as development focused, then Dwayne Casey's utility really starts to fall off because when it comes to in-game stuff, he's just not, he's not good. But back to Ivy. I mean, I could I could complain about Casey or criticize Casey, better way of putting it, for for a very long time. There's everybody. You all know how I feel about Dwayne Casey. He's got his strengths and his weaknesses, and most of his weaknesses come into the they really come into play on the court and absolutely in the playoffs, like a hundred percent in the playoffs. Anyway, I'm doing exactly what I said I wouldn't. I'm still talking about Dwayne Casey. So Jaden Ivy, you know that that's been kind of an issue on offense, not necessarily his fault. And he's had his, his share of issues on defense. He really needs to, you know, his defensive awareness needs work uh, just in terms of where he should be and what his what his defender is doing, particularly off the ball. And he's he's kind of prone to, you know, jumping when he shouldn't and giving the opposition a foul. But let's let's go to the good stuff, though. So it's the stuff is good stuff is same as it was last week. I mean, the guy is incredibly athletic. Uh, he can uh, he's he's got great body control. He can get in the air. He can finish some very difficult shots at the rim. That's great to have. Uh, he's been doing fairly well at hitting the open man. He still turns the ball over at times in his efforts to do so, but he's a very willing passer, and that's great to see. I mean, that again was one of my concerns with him: is he going to be a willing passer? Do I think again? Do I think he's going to be like an elite passer? who's got great offensive awareness and just great offensive IQ as a passer. No, I, I don't, but he doesn't need to be. It'd be nice if he were, but he doesn't need to be. And what we're seeing from him right now is encouraging. And the pull-up threes are nice too. He's, if I'm not mistaken, he's shooting those at a decent percentage. However, he needs to take more threes. This is a similar thing with Cade though. Uh, you know, if you can score at a high percentage of the basket, great. But unless you're like amazing at it, it's difficult to be like a really efficient scorer without shooting more threes. And again, this comes to Kate as well. Like you can shoot upwards of 50% from mid range, but that's not like a super efficient shot. I mean, you're shooting 50% and you're shooting from mid range. I mean, it's still an efficient shot by the standards of half court offense. That gives you an effective field goal percentage. If you're shooting like 52% of 52, which is about average. If you're not shooting those free throws, though, you're below average in terms of true shooting. Uh, whatever. I mean, it comes down to it. Self-created offense is always going to be at, at a lower standard of efficiency. 
Um, you know, you're, you're just going to score at a lesser degree of efficiency if you're self-creating a lot of offense. The issue with these Pistons is that, you know, with the talent on the team and also with the coaching, uh, and back to Casey, who just loves to isolate his players and say, here, please take the ball and go score with them. I mean, you're just not getting as high percentage opportunities as you would as you would otherwise. But also, Ivy needs to be more willing uh, to shoot threes and better at his catch and shoots. But when it comes to attacking the basket, I mean, he's a, as absolutely as advertised. He's got some refinement to do. I think he is more raw than the likes of Matherin or, you know, you could say, I don't know, Keegan Murray, who is going to be a more finished product. But I think those two players are going to be more limited. But it might take Ivy some time to really come into his own because there are aspects of his game that are pretty raw. But absolutely exciting to watch. You know, much needed elite athleticism. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the way things have gone so far. So uh, let's move on to, uh, you know, it was, my, it was my idea coming into this episode that I was mainly going to focus on on the positives. Um, and that kind of feel like I have to a degree, but I've, I've spent too much time complaining about Dwayne Casey. All right, I'm going to stop talking about Dwayne Casey. Let's talk about Bojan, Boyan, Boyan. I got it this time. Boyan Bogdanovich. <laughs> so uh, I recently signed by the Pistons to an extension. Uh, two years, about $40 million, only $2 million. And the second year is guaranteed. And for anybody who's wondering, you typically, almost invariably in the NBA with extensions, you end up with a six-month trade restriction. So there's something called an extended trade, which is very rare, uh, because extensions almost invariably give a player a significant raise. And in order for an extended trade, you cannot give the player in the first year of his new deal more than 105% of his current salary, rather his salary in the final year of his deal. And you also can't give more than uh, three years, and that includes the final year in the deal. So basically two-year extension. And you now the other criterion is just you can't get more than 5% raises versus 8%, which you would commonly do with bird rights. But uh, those first two criteria, it's very, very rare for an extension to abide by both of them. But in Boyan's case, Boyan's extension abided by all three of those criteria. So he could be traded today if the Pistons wanted to. So I think that that extension, I like it. Just one more year. He's a useful player. It's a reasonable salary. And I feel like it probably increases his trade value. The fact that he's got, I mean, the team trades for him. I mean, he'll have others this season. And then next season, which is fully guaranteed, and the season after that, you can choose if you want to keep him or not. And if you choose not, then you're only $2 million. There's only $2 million in cap space down the drain. That's not very much. And it's meaningless to a team that's over the cap anyway. Uh, it's a small point. You cannot use non-guaranteed salary for the purposes of salary matching. The NBA closed that loophole in the 2017 CBA, collective bargaining agreement, which governs all the rules of the salary cap as well as other things. Uh, well, all the whatever, all the, the very labyrinthine uh, rules around salaries and so on and so forth. You know what I mean? So the Pistons couldn't be like, oh, well, a team you could take this and we could take some bad salary from you. And then you just don't guarantee Boyan's salary in the final year of his deal. You can't do that. In any case, I was happy with the contract and yeah, I think it enhances his trade value. Uh, whether or not he'll still be on the team, who knows? Um, he has been uh, still on the team rather when it's, you know, even at the end of the season, who knows, but he has been absolutely lights out as a shooter. I mean, he's an elite three point shooter. He's right now shooting 51% on really high volume, which makes him one of the best three points. Well, by percentage, I think the best high volume, three-point shooter in the league. I'd have to check the stats. I could be wrong, but uh, I mean, he has been amazing. He's done it on some tough shots. He's done it on basic catch and shoots, but also uh, 
catch and shoots through pretty heavy coverage. He he's just a savvy veteran and, and an excellent shooter. And he's done his typical like attacking of closeouts and attacking of slower players, you know, particularly big men. And he's done that successfully. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think, I mean, on defense, he's been as you would expect, which is not good. But on offense, I mean, he's provided the Pistons with something they desperately needed, which is really a, a reliable, high volume, high percentage three point shooter. And seems like just a lovable dude also. Which is cool. Oh, something to mention. You know, isn't he shooting fantastic from the three point line? He's at above ninety four percent from the free throw line, where he's he's going about four and a half times per game. So, just a good vet who's a really sweet shooter and really smart, and that's been fun. You know, good for you, Boyan. A good trade by Troy Weaver. Uh, you know, I still have. Let's put it this way: like the only downside again, the athleticism in the front court, uh, and that in large part comes down to Isaiah Stewart. You know, you know, it's it's pretty rare for your center to be as undersized, non-athletic as Isaiah. Uh, whatever. Obviously, it's worthwhile, of course, to have Boyan in the starting lineup. I mean, nobody's disputing. I don't think anybody should dispute that. But yeah, so he's looked great, incredibly efficient, and just a good dude to have on the team. And now a quick word from our sponsor. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, so tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA money line bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and place a stepped-up same-game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to go to bet on the NBA. For example, you could bet on any of the Pistons' upcoming games. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Uh, moving on to just other notables. I don't have much more to say about Jalen Duren. Uh, he was he got hurt recently. Uh, Hamadou Diallo landed on his ankle. Uh, so not ideal. Um, but uh, it's the same as it was when I, when I was talking last week. I mean, it's nice. To, he's doing pretty well for a player who is as raw as he is. He's got some things to iron out in terms of just on offense in general, uh, just his touch, his awareness, the decisions he makes, uh, his free throw percentage. And uh, that's another thing about Ivy, who's who's got to improve his own free throw percentage. But uh, yeah, it's, it's always fun to watch a young player who's, who's by all appearances going to, to have probably a significant impact in the Pistons' future on defense. He's been quite good. Uh, you know, not perfect, but can switch. Really, you know, he's good at protecting the rim. Uh, he recovers well. His help defense is very good at the rim, and yeah, that's nice. I just I don't want to repeat what I said when I said last episode, so I'm, I'm going to move on from Duran. There's not much new to talk about him. I have to say about him, uh, Isaiah Stewart, who's really again that's somebody I talked about a lot last episode. Just continues to be very weak in this in this lineup. Like having such an such unathletic partners in the front you know in the front court with him and just having a defense that has more difficulty now than it did last season uh, at preventing penetration i mean you see it in games like isaiah if he has to relocate to challenge a shot he can't move and jump at the same time that's obviously not a problem for jalen duran yeah so he can't move if he has to relocate and challenge a shot it's going to be pretty easy to score over him if you get past him, and also not also not an issue for Jalen Duran. If you get past Isaiah Stewart, he's not going to be able to recover uh, because he just can't sky to block a shot at that point. We've seen Duran do it quite a bit. And just his defense has been very significantly reduced in value. That's an underrated consequence of losing Jeremy Grant. Grant only played about half the games last season, but 
He's he's a, he's a solid, very athletic defender in the front court. He's he's a good help defender, you know, at the rim. And it's just we're learning this season that uh, that Isaiah's defense is is somewhat dependent upon the players around him. And and you could say that to a degree about any player in the league, but he loses a lot when the when the defenders around him decline in value, a decline in quality rather. Uh, his shooting still hasn't come along. That is what it is. His interior offense, you know, decent. Uh, it it just it also just sucks when like there are there are possessions in which like Cade will come flying into the interior, and you'll see that he wants to hit a a roll man for a lob, and then he sees it's Stewart. Like this is something. <clears throat> excuse me. This is something. Like maybe you belabor the points, and I don't remember if I did my last episode before or after the first Hawks game, but you see with almost every team. They've got these athletic bigs who are very high percentage finishers. That is nice to have. And you can give it to Stewart in some ways. Like he's getting to the line more, which I don't think it's going to last because I think it's mostly incidental. Uh, he's been grabbing a lot of rebounds, which is cool to see. It's just like, I'm almost, I was almost ready at this point just to have Jalen Duran come into the starting lineup, even though he's, you know, he's got his share of issues and probably isn't ready. It's just like, as you continue to play Isaiah Stewart, you're losing, you're losing so much in the you know on both ends like i love isaiah like uh, as as a, a human being in the basketball court like you could not aspire to be a harder worker than he is and a very very team first guy and i mean there's just nothing not to love about his attitude his mentality uh, you know what he brings in terms of overall character and so it's kind of hurt me that at times i'm like it please i'm basically waiting for Duran to come out of the court because isaiah's shortcomings are so apparent so I've said it before, I'll say it again, almost certainly a bench big in the future. And that'll require his shooting. It's just his shooting has to come along if he's not going to be a negative presence on offense because his pick and roll is more of a pick and clog. And so you're not throwing him wobs and he's not finishing at a high percentage. But, you know, so it's mildly painful to say, and I've gotten lower on Isaiah with each passing year. Um, but he has his strengths. It's just like, I don't think the strengths are ever going to manifest themselves in the starting lineup. So uh, let's see who else can we talk about. Uh, Isaiah Livers so uh, has come in and given you what you think, uh, which is high percentage three-point shooting. He's about 39% of the year, and he's not just taking simple catch and shoots. Just a smart, solid, all-around role player at this point, which is exactly what I would ex- what I have expected him to be. I mean, he's not the greatest inside the arc, but he comes in and he has the mentality of a player who has played significantly more time in the NBA than he has. Just a smart player. Uh, you can count on him to make the right play. I'm very unselfish. And, you know, you can count on him to make the right play on defense as well. And though he is not the fastest guy in his feet, I've been in, I, I've been happy to see that when he is switched onto a faster player, he does not have trouble generally staying in front of them. Uh, he's able to move his feet very well. He's not slow, per se. I just I, I had some concerns coming into the season. It's like you, you get him switched. And, of course, he's gotten switched onto faster players because the Pistons switch everything. But he's held his own. And that's great. So just a smart role player who can play competent defense and shoot threes at a, at a fairly high percentage is is good to have. And even if he doesn't amount to much more than that, which I think is not unlikely because I just don't think he's, I know you can say, well, hey, it's very early on. I mean, the guy's 24. He's not very athletic. He doesn't really have much of a history at all at attacking the basket you know, with the ball in his hands. He doesn't have the greatest handle. So I'm not high in his ability to become a good creator, but if he's just a, a solid role player, he's a hard worker, high character guy who can play, you know, plus defense and shoot threes at a high level. That's a that's the kind of player that everybody wants to have. 
and I wish that he were the first uh, the first man off the bench. And it's like, goodness, how do I talk about this without getting back to Dwayne Casey? So an issue is that so the, the Pistons have on paper like four good shooters in the starting lineup, or at least you have Cade who still needs to work on it. And you have Ivy who kind of still needs to work on it. And Sadiq who struggled a bit. And then you have Boyan who's one of the best shooters in the league. And then Stewart who's still really struggling. But you've got ostensibly like a decent degree of spacing there. Unfortunately, Hamadou Diallo is the first man off the bench. He typically replaces Sadiq. So you're down to a kind of worse spacing. And then Killian Hayes comes into the game. And at that point, you're down to like, I don't know, like two like two real shooters in the lineup. And I wish it were Livers first off the bench. So what you do is, as you take Bay out, you put Livers in, and then you take Boyan out, and hopefully Bay at that point is not not too far off from coming into the game. So I wish at this point that Livers is the first man off the bench. Unfortunately, uh, the coach of the team has very, very rigid rotation. So instead, it's Hamadou Diallo. So Hamadou had a fairly good game against the Bucks. Uh, he continues to be not good overall. I mean, he has had a very, very poor start to the season. I think he could play better than he can right now, but uh, he still can't shoot. And that's a problem. And I, I think if he doesn't abruptly improve, uh, I think that this is probably his last year with the Pistons uh, because the last season, it looked like he was contributing at a pretty good level. I mean, ultimately, that player who can't shoot, it's a super punishing league for a player who can't shoot. Like, super punishing. I mean, you have guys who... For example, are great defenders like Matisse Thybul and and Ben Simmons. Though Simmons has been terrible so far this season. I mean, not not particularly good on defense even. But you have very high level defenders who can't shoot, uh, and you know, in Simmons's case, who is very good at attacking the basket. It's just like no matter what you provide aside from shooting, if you can't shoot, you better have a team in your perimeter player. You better have a team that is playing around you, like Giannis, for example, or or Jimmy Butler. And again, they're playing Bam out of bio with Butler, so that's two non-shooters. But Eric Spolstra can make just about anything work. So it's it's just a league that is completely intolerant to perimeter players who can't shoot. You can't really play them in the playoffs at all. And it's not like Hamadou is providing great value on the off- on the defensive end of things. And on offense, I mean, it's, it's hard for a guy. I mean, it's particularly hard in this lineup because he's almost invariably on the floor with at least one other non-shooter, which just makes life a lot more difficult for him because those open lanes are very difficult to come by. It also makes life more difficult on everybody else. But, you know, if you can't shoot, I mean, it's, I've said it before, you know, I'll say it again. Yeah, yeah. That being able to shoot well or not being able to shoot at all. I mean, if he's able to shoot well, he could be, I think, a a guy who scores a lot of points. If he can't shoot, I think he's a guy who might have another couple of years in the league and then we'll flunk out. So nothing has changed. I don't anticipate anything will change. And I think that he's the primary candidate to, to lose a lot of minutes when Alec Burks comes back. So, you know, what will Burks provide? Uh, another shooter off the bench. And, and Burks is a is, is a pretty elite shooter. That'll be very nice to have. And I just don't see how Hamadou will, will realistically remain in the lineup at that stage. And then we get to one other guy who nobody likes to talk. Well, not if anybody likes to talk about him. It never has any good news. And that's Killian, for whom nothing has changed. I mean, I, I don't expect that he's going to continue shooting this poorly. I mean, it has been absolutely comically bad, <laughs> like like absolutely comically bad. He is averaging uh, one made field goal per game on six attempts, which is 17% from the field, 13% from three. Uh, his, his effective field goal percentage is 19%. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, you look at true shooting where the average is, I think, upwards of 56%. 
I don't know, the teams, the players tend to start a little bit more slowly at the beginning of the year uh, a lot of the time. But uh, Killian is a 21%, uh, which is, you know, I would say impressive in all the wrong ways. Uh, his, his turnover percentage isn't really all that much lower uh, than his assist percentage. He's been terrible. And, you know, on an emotional level, I think I said this last week, I'm, I'm really tired of watching him. It's not as painful as it was when I had to watch him in the starting lineup, you know, when really management and an experiment that kind of made sense because it's like, okay, we want to see if our, if our last two lottery picks can play together. Though I think it was doomed to failure from the very beginning. Uh, because even if Killian had improved, I mean, so much of his value on offense is it ostensibly should be found in him playing a possession heavy role. Unfortunately, he's not able to do that. So, you know, I've seen the question posed uh, in, in multiple places. Like, is is it okay if Killian can't shoot? You know, is it okay, you know, that he's just providing value on defense and as a passer? And I would say that the answer to that is a resounding, unequivocal no. Like, even if Killian were a much better defender, uh, because I think that his, I think that his defense is not, let's put it this way, I just, I don't think his defense is really all that great. He is strong one-on-one -on -one in certain situations, mostly slower speed situations inside the arc, you know, where it, where things have slowed down a little bit and somebody's not completely jetting to the basket. In those situations, he's strong. You know, he can stop guys. He can steal the ball really well. He moves his feet well. And in, in that situation, he's a genuinely strong NBA defender. Uh, you put him in the pick and roll against a guard who is quicker than him, he is likely to get torched. It just is what it is. And, you know, you could say that, oh, you you know, you're looking, for example, like in three of the past four games, he's up against Trey Young, which is, is super quick. And against Steph Curry, who's, who's super, he's really quick himself and is Steph Curry. Um, but the fact is, you're not, you're not a strong defender if these guys, neither of whom are explosive, are able to just lose you by setting up a single, a single simple pick, excuse me. And teams have gotten the message. You know, you send Killian into the pick and roll and you lose him. You know, his, his assignment loses him. And he ends up several steps behind. And if you're talking particularly about the better point guards in the league, that means you're probably going to get scored on. Or if you don't get, you know, if you don't get scored on by the point guard himself, uh, then he's going to unhinge the offense enough because he's gained that degree of separation that the other team, you know, the offense stands a good shot of getting of getting a high percentage look. So I would not call Killian a strong defender, you know, a strong all around defender. Uh, his team defense is pretty average, just in terms of making the right decisions. Uh, and he can make his share of mistakes there, even if he were a much better defender again, and even if he were able to to, to be at uh, you know a very you know pretty high level passer, it's just his value on offense would be eroded significantly by the fact that he can't shoot, which removes from him the ability to take very high efficiency shots from the perimeter. I mean, three point shot is very high efficiency shot, particularly open threes, uh, but also makes him a spacing liability. Uh, to you know, teams can just sag off of him, and they do sag off of him. For example, the Warriors were giving him absolutely no respect, absolutely no respect at all. There was one play on which, like, uh, you know, I took a picture of it because I'm like, this is absolutely gruesome. It, it was hard to tell who his defender was because there were two guys, that, you know, the one, I don't remember who he was on, but he had sagged into the paint a bit too. And, and basically Killian's defender was standing next to him on, on the border of the key. And it's like, you know, these guys were about eight feet away from Killian. And you had somebody, I don't remember who it was from the Pistons, who was trying to drive into the paint, but they just don't respect him. Uh, in this situation, again, his defense really isn't all that. His defense comes nowhere near to compensating for his offense, like not even in the same universe. Even last year, it did not come anywhere near, in which he was simply bad, very bad, like really bad, rather than absolutely, absolutely, you know, it's an absolute catastrophe right now. And he can't make the passing work either, um, because he drives in, 
And even when he's able to gain separation, the defenses don't respect him. Nobody comes to help. So generally, the people to whom he could pass are not open, and he can't attack the basket. And this is the thing. He gets no respect from the defense because they know he can't attack the basket. And when he does gain separation, and this happened like he, he un, very unusually in the pick and roll, gained separation four times last night against the Bucks. Three of them, he went for a long floater, a long left-handed floater. That is not a high percentage shot. And I mean, is the, the guy defending the rim is more than happy to just be in position to contest. He doesn't have to worry about killing attacking the basket. Not only is killing bad at it, he's not willing to do it if he is confronted with the with a rim protector. He's he's never going to try to attack the guy. He's never going to try to to draw free throws. He's never going to he's just never going to try to attack the basket. And that is very punishable. And defenses punish it. And again, he's not unhinging any defense. Nobody is coming to help. So the ability, you know, the the effect of his passing and his main selling point, you know, should be his his high best his high offensive IQ and and his high ability as a passer uh, you know in, in a possession heavy role that was undoubtedly you know uh, well undoubtedly the, the the vision that the Pistons had of him when he was brought in to be the point guard of the future but uh, you know you can't do that if you can't attack the basket and if teams have no respect for you and if you can't score and uh, it's it's just ugly and I wonder at what point in the season like I wouldn't be averse to seeing Killian given time in the G league. I mean, it is just a mentally ugly. I believe at this point he could still be sent down. Like after, I believe it's after your third year in the NBA, sending a player down requires sending a player with, uh, with more than three years of experience and or with at least three years of experience requires approval from the player and from the player's union. So killing could still be sent down, but it's like he is making life more difficult than everybody. And you ask who would replace him. Corey Joseph is not like a good NBA player, but he is an NBA player. You know, he's he's a decent backup point guard for a not very good team who is a reliable shooter and a more effective passer than Killian simply because he can gain penetration. Uh, and, you know, he's not a gifted passer, but he can gain penetration and he can help to unhinge the defense a bit and he can do some passing. Now, do you want Corey Joseph to be playing over your number seven pick from now three drafts ago? Uh, absolutely not. But at what point do you say this is not good for Killian? It's definitely not good for his teammates. You know, send him into a situation where hopefully he can do a little bit better and hopefully refine something. I don't know what it is. But when it comes down to it, it comes down to a certain thing. The one thing that Killian could, it doesn't just come down to a certain thing, but I'll say one thing that Killian could absolutely do, which which may give him a significantly improve something, is just take the ball to the basket and attack the defender and accept that his body is going to hit yours. And everybody else on the team will do that. Killian will not. I don't think that's very excusable. I don't think he has a medical dispensation you know, to avoid doing so either. And I doubt that Dwayne Casey is just saying, well, you don't have to do that. Uh, and I'm sorry that I just spent so long talking about Killian Hayes. I know that it's not a happy subject for the Pistons. Uh, and you know, like the B word is coming into it, uh, that, that word being bust. He's still young, uh, but like he has been terrible in the NBA. And... I think it should be reiterated this performance this season. Uh, he has regressed from awful on offense to absolutely horrible. And it sucks. You know, it, it is what it is. I don't think it was a mistake by the Pistons to pick up his fourth year option um, because you go into the season and you just hope that he improves. And then if he doesn't improve, then you hope that he improves next season. And that's not a bad option. It's, it's, it's not a bad gamble to take uh, for for a team that has every reason to be patient with its with its young players and hope that they develop. 
Of course, they didn't anticipate him looking this bad, though I don't think this will last with him being quite this bad because it doesn't last this way for anybody, like pretty much ever, who's getting significant minutes. But again, I mean, what are you hoping for, for him to improve back to the point in which he was he was playing last season when he was just one of the worst offensive players in the league uh, instead of probably the worst, which is, is almost certainly what he is at this point, uh, or so close to it that it's basically indistinguishable. You know, it's basically a, a, you know, a moot comparison or, or a moot point. So it sucks. Uh, it's really unfortunate. And I will absolutely own the fact that going into the 2020 draft, I was bullish on Killian. You know, I thought that he had the potential to be like at the low end of the top 10 in terms of starting point guards. You know, if he could, if he could effectively attack the basket, if he could duplicate, you know, what was a decent amount of success as a pull-up two-point shooter. And like, particularly if he could get those step-back threes to work. And so, you know, I had him over Halliburton. I probably had him over Lamelo even because I just wasn't confident that Lamelo was going to get his shooting together. And I thought that he was just, uh, his attitude would be an issue without Apparently, he's definitely not a leader on that Charlotte team. Uh, but yeah, clearly, uh, it did not really hit the spot on that one. Uh, you know, to say the least, it is what it is. I'm not going to make like excuses for it, though I was nowhere near into uh, draft research back then as I, as I have been with the last two drafts. So on that somewhat unhappy note, I think that is going to be it for today's episode. Uh, this was really kind of like more of a where do we stand now episode. Uh, I try to, you know, I generally try not to record episodes like this. Uh, I like to talk about storylines and, uh, you know, more interesting deep dives into particular players and uh, also, and yeah, whatever. Um, so this is a bit kind of an unusual episode in that respect. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what I had to, or what I, what I felt I should talk about tonight. I, it, this is at the point at which it's like, like I've got a thought in my head and there's absolutely no reason for me to be pursuing that thought and just, uh, you know, continuing to talk and continuing a sentence, but I do it anyway, uh, which is really something I should work on not doing in all walks of my life. In any case, on that note, uh, that's going to be it for the episode. Uh, as always, really appreciate you guys listening. And just like to reiterate, I really love hearing from you on Twitter uh, or on Discord, anywhere else. Love hearing feedback. I uh, just love to talk to listeners. So, uh, you know, absolutely, by all means, get in contact with me, uh, you know, for whatever, even if it's just uh, just to talk basketball. So uh, I will catch you in the next episode.